Hey everyone, just wanted to hop on here real quick and let you all know of a great event that I'm going to be a part of, as well as many previous guests on this show. So on Sunday, May 29th, I will be participating in the WAP Stripathon. And if you're thinking wet ass pussy, yes and no, um, it's going to be a charity stripathon happening at the legendary Penthouse Strip Club and will be benefiting the Wish Drop In Center, which is a nonprofit organization based in Vancouver that benefits street-based sex trade workers. Tickets are $20 or $30 at the door and all proceeds, including stage tips, cover charges, all that. Everything is going to charity. We hope this event will sell out, so we hope to see you there. So for more information, follow us on Instagram at stripathon2022. Welcome back to another episode of Strip by Sia, your podcast for strippers, sex workers, and all the fancy naked people in between. I am your host, Steph Sia, aka Kimchi on stage. If you missed me on stage this past week, I am sorry. I do not know when I'll be back on stage, but um, for all those who came out at the penthouse this week, thank you very much. It was nice to see everyone, and thank you for showering me with money. I love that. Um, (laughs) So if you did not know, I am a stripper here based in Vancouver, Canada, and I am also a digital content creator. I do have an OnlyFans, make customs. I do some fun things. Get at me if you are interested in any of that. Some people have subscribed. Thanks thanks to all those people who have. And I was also a former sugar baby back in the day during my university days. And now I am a podcast host. I record this show every single Sunday and I bring different guests on every single week to help destigmatize sex work through storytelling and through education. So that's just a little bit about me. I've been doing the show for the past two and a half years or so and it's been a journey. It's been awesome and I couldn't have done this all without anyone's help and also I guess just recently this year having a Patreon and actually having people subscribe to that. So I just want to give a quick shout out to those who are subscribed on my Patreon. Thank you so much for your support and a specific shout out to people who have subscribed to the top tier of my Patreon. It is uh, Jay Sunstern. We have Karen Zen. We also have Justin Erickson and Arup Sarkar. Thank you so much for contributing and for helping. I am slowly building a website at this very moment and that's been fun, but also that's where your money is going right now. So thank you for funding my (laughs) monthly hosting uh, bill and email hosting and all that fun stuff that no one really wants to hear about. So enough of me rambling about the boring stuff. (laughs) I am here to bring on today's guest, which I am super, super excited to bring on. And also, quick shout out to Dr. Tamara O'Doherty, who was a previous guest on the show, who I was recently guest lecturing at SFU, talking to her students about sex work. And also, I think um, our guest this week was also a guest lecturer as well. So enough of me talking. I would love to introduce to the audience Miss Velvet Steele on to the show today. Velvet, are you there? Hi, how are you? Thank you for having me on. You look lovely. I know we were just talking off the air saying that you broke your ankle recently. I am so sorry. 
<laughs> oh, it's roller skating. You know, I, I forget that I'm no spring chicken sometimes, but you know what? It's not going to stop me from getting out there and doing things and having a good time. <laughs> there you go. I just didn't realize that roller skating could be so dangerous. But um, yeah, it can. I didn't either. <laughs> <laughs> you know, three surgeries later and I'm home from the hospital after having it reconstructed. Wow. Oh no, my oh, gosh. Wow. What a nightmare. But today we're not talking about, we're not talking about roller skating. We're not talking about uh, breaking your ankles, but we are talking about a lot of things, mainly the use of language amongst and within the trans community because velvet is, okay, well, velvet is a number of things. I'm going to try to go down the list here, but a trans woman. We also have a political activist, sexual health advocate, a pillar of the Vancouver kink scene, an icon in the LGBTQIA community in Vancouver, Lots of lots of community outreach work. She was the co-founder of the West Enders Against Violence Everywhere and Body Perv Social Club, also in Vancouver as well. And amongst other things, sex toy reviewer and guest lecturer and 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 what else do you do? Am I missing anything? <laughs> <laughs> well, I you know I yeah God that's such, such a mouthful there. No pun intended either. But you know what I'm saying. Um, <laughs> so I mean, really, how I started off my world in terms of what I'm doing and how all that what you just mentioned came as a part of it was um, years ago. I mean, and I'm going to make this very clear that my entry into the world of sex work was not because I had a gun to my head. Um, I was drug addicted or had a pimp or anything like that. It was because I genuinely wanted to get into it. And, and I, I was always interested in sexuality, human sex, everything else. Uh, and the fact that I was going through what I was going through in terms of trying to explore and discover myself in terms of where I was in the world and as the woman that I know I am to be, um, that things didn't quite work out with my genitalia and my mental state. So I wasn't what I would, what we would call in alignment with myself. So to, so to do that, I really wanted to explore what you know, the human psyche was all about and what made people tick when it came to sex and their sexuality and their sexual practices and preferences. And the best way for me to really do that, and I've always, you know, I was, I'm an old punk rocker from way back. So okay. I'm covered in <laughs> tattoos and I love my leather and heels and whips and chains, hence yes. how I got into that world. Um, yes, into the kitchen, yes, which we'll get into as well. <laughs> so yeah, so that's so that's where I got into that whole um, line of work was doing that because it allowed me to explore human people, um, you know, humanity and in, in, in their best forms and what their kinks are, what their fetishes were, what their interests were, uh, and to know that I wasn't abhorrent, you know, because a lot of people want to put us into that sort of category as you know we don't know what we're doing, we're this, we're that. We're poor, disenfranchised. We're not in our right mind to make these decisions. And, you know, I, I counter that so often. And it drives me crazy when I hear that. And it was like, no, I, I wasn't doing what I was doing just because I felt bad or all these other things. I wanted to learn about you. I wanted to learn about me. And I wanted to be able to grow and to afford to be able to have a roof over my head, you know, food on the table, uh, clothes on my back, afford medical, dental, travel, do all the things that everybody else wants to do and which is enjoy life, right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, that's, so, what, that's what it boils down to. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, so so I, I started that world when I was actually in Copenhagen a number of years ago. Um, and then I took my business to Toronto. And this was long before the internet was happening, long before anything to do with, how shall I say, um, cell phones, for example, 
Okay, yeah. You know, it, it, was, it was all pagers and things like that. And I love it because we all had pagers and stuff. And, you know, here you, you whenever you would go out to a restaurant or to a lounge or to a club and suddenly a pager would go off and everybody else around the room with their pagers would go off. And it was like, oh, my God, the jig is up. You knew what everybody was doing, right? It was so hilarious. Anyway, everybody fighting to get to the local pay phone to use because there were no cell phones, right? Back in the day, that was a different time. <laughs> and we were using things like when we were doing online ads, we were not online on phone ads because like yes. the internet wasn't there. There was a thing called the man line. So okay. we were able to uh, advertise on that in the back portion of it. And they had this section that was all for, you know, the escorts and the providers, sex providers and everything else. And so we had them back there. So that's what we did. And the irony of that whole time frame is like people were leaving their phone numbers for us to call them back at. Wow. But yeah, there, there was no weirdness. There was nothing going on there. Then it started to get a little bit weirder when they started offering star 69 when you could block your number. Um, you oh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, star 72 and 72, and you could forward your number off to someplace else. Um, yes. you know, oh, you my check God. All those, so those, I, I still really miss that kind of, but yeah. So, I mean, we, there was no, in those days, worries about safety and security for us and stuff like that. And the calls are also too, we'd go out to the clubs and we'd find clients out at the clubs too, or on the street. So it was, it was very interesting. So, so I did that for a number of years to sort of grow um, explore myself, learn about myself, put money aside so that I could actually go forward with my, as I call them, corrective procedures, um, mm -hmm. you know, which in those days was called SRS, sexual reassignment surgery, and they have new names that they're calling it today. Um, yes. You know, confirmation surgeries, reaffirmation surgeries, affirmation surgeries, those kinds of different things. Um, and, and for me, the terminology back in the day when I was going through my thing is just as relevant or was relevant then as it is today. It still just is, you know. Um, you can't take that away from me and and disrespect my choices in regards to acceptance of terms. And I don't think you can do that with other people who were there with me at the same time. So, no. um, you know. Okay, wait, hang on. Before we jump into this topic, because there's so many things. So, yes. So sex work, I guess this is like, yeah, maybe back in the 80s or so with pagers. So, this is such a different time. Like how, how did you conduct your, your um, filters in terms of like, how did you ensure that you were safe? How, what was safety and security back then? Oh God. Um, well, you know, for those of us who are on the street and stuff like that, you know, you, you would get license plates numbers and you would give them off to your friends uh, they would also, you know, give you a phone call. If, once you got to where you were going to, generally you would give a phone call to whoever it was that was going to be sort of waiting and monitoring for you. Um, if you were, And they would call back within a certain time frame once you'd said that. If you didn't call back, then they would be calling you and you'd always give them the address and everything else as to where you were if you weren't providing an in-call service. Mm -hmm. um, if you were doing in-call services, generally a client would show up and you would, you know, get on the phone to your friends, let them know. And a lot of us had friends who were just basically living across the hall. So they knew, mm -hmm. they knew what was going on. Um, yeah. And if there was no, you know, knockback or any sort of thing, oh, I'm done, everything's good, talk to you soon, blah, 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 next one coming at such and such a time, then they'd be knocking on the door. Um, wow. Yeah. yeah. And, and we made it very clear to the clients too at the time too that 
um, okay, I have to make the phone call. I have to just let people know that everything's okay, that you're here for such and such a time. And I'll also be letting them know if you're going to be going overtime or whatever we're going to be doing. So there was always that communication with the client. So they knew what we were doing. They knew that this is how we were, and descriptions were also given. Um, and I guess for me as well, because I never really was too worried about it. And a lot of my friends never were really worried about it. We'd always play the game of 20 questions on the phone. Okay. Hi, you know, hi, how are you? Thanks for calling. How can I help you? What are your interests <laughs> today? Oh, okay, that's great. Well, let me know. I'll tell you what I provide as a service for you. And you would go through that whole rundown. Um, and and if you didn't provide that particular service, that I would, you would be very upfront and say that that's not what I do. I, I don't offer that. That's you know outside of my boundaries. One of the things that I would always say to people, and this was very, I was very blunt and upfront about this, is I don't deal with anything that deals with scat, blood, mm -hmm. piss. Um, any references to children or animals, anything bestiality oriented, that's just not my thing. And if that's what you're looking for, you're going to have to move on from me. Um, right. You know, and, and they, they, they respected that. So I think the, the open and the honesty was very different at that time. And I'm not to say that, yeah. you know, that client, cause we all know that clients will still push the envelope, you know? Oh yeah. Yeah, definitely. Even with, I mean, that hasn't changed. I feel with on the client side, they're always wanting to try to push it and push it and push boundaries constantly. And even like depending on the type of sex work you do, like I just got messages the other day on my OnlyFans like, oh, do you offer this? Even though everything that I offer is listed on my OnlyFans, they're like, oh, do you do this? Do you do that? I'm like, no, please read. But it's just like, oh, what if I pay you more and that whole thing? So it's just really frustrating and really disappointing to hear that like nothing has really changed that kind of. No, I, I, I really feel the same way too. But, and then I always think too, it's like, you know, once the business is legitimized, you know, or becomes that much more legitimate, will that change? I don't know, you know, yeah. will it or, or won't it, you know? And I always say to people too, is know your parameters and really mm -hmm. identify with them and be strong about them. Because like I said, they're, they're always going to push the envelope for, a give you more money or you know talk you into something that you're just not comfortable doing or a service or a provision that you just don't do you know mm -hmm. i also think if it's well without the bound outside the boundaries of safe sane and consensual number one i always keep those as my edicts but also right. the health aspect right the physical health aspects um you know and and also to the other thing too is like is narcotics and drugs you know I, right. I i still have this issue where i don't understand where a lot of why clients think that sex or anything to do with sex or sexual provision, um, sex work, anything to do with it has to have the association with drugs and narcotics. Yeah. I feel like that was a really old school way of thinking and looking at sex work because I just feel like that was an affiliation that always came with it, especially in the eighties and the early nineties. And then, I mean, talking about my own personal experience, like I don't, I'm mostly sober when I dance. I don't really do any recreational drugs except for marijuana. But like a lot of people like conflate like sex work and drugs, like that stuff goes hand in hand. And like, have you seen a shift in that? Or is that something that was like primarily big in the 80s when I, I i agree with you 100 i think it was a lot more prevalent back in the 80s to be honest mm -hmm. um and also yeah. too i think you know a lot of the origins were coming in i think from the 70s you know when the 70s were the disco era doing all that sort of idea and then there was yeah. you know cocaine was rampant it was it was all over the place and stuff like that and i guess well 
my whole little, you know, analysis of the whole thing is that when, and it really irks me when I hear this, is hookers and blow. Oh, I yeah. hate that statement. And, I, and you know, yeah. and as much as people think, oh, it's, 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 it's funny, it's, it's hilarious. I don't think it's funny. I really don't yeah. think it's funny because it's actually rather pathetic, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, I know. I completely agree with that. You know, I mean, and, and let's be honest. I mean, what is, what's attractive about somebody who's, you know, gone super limp? Wet noodle, <laughs> let's let's say it that way, and that you know they're thinking that they're the hottest thing since sliced bread sexually, and they're just doing way too much in the way of cocaine. I mean, I'm sorry, but I don't want to be dealing with that. Yeah, no one does. No, it's not. It's no. not fun, and it's just it looks really messy and greasy, and it generally really is. You know? No, no, thank you. <laughs> well, I guess speaking of dicks, um, we were. I just interrupted your conversation earlier when we were just getting into the conversation about SRS or sexual reassignment surgery. Did you want to go into a little bit about that and give the audience a little background on what those procedures might entail? Just because there's a the audience is pretty diverse here. We have a lot of vanilla folk. We have a bunch of sex workers that listen in here. Some allies, people that are just like not even in this world at all. So we might need a little bit of a primer there. Absolutely. Well, I mean, I'm going mean, to go, I'm going to go back. Okay. So like we were put, I mean, a lot of people in my community and I use the word community loosely, um, are put under the microscope, especially if you're going from point A to point B. And I like to say point Z, right? A to Z. Um, so, you know, and then, so there's all those points in between or letters that you have to sort of go through to jump through the hoops. There's a lot of gatekeeping that goes on too. And especially with different types of, uh, uh, medical establishments or, you know, um, counseling, for example, not only just counseling, but financial and things like that, because it's it's a big trip. And of course, hence, there's a lot of individuals who are in the field of sex work to mm-hmm. supply themselves with the money to and the resources to move forward with their lives. So mm-hmm. it, when I was going through what I was going through, and I really believe these are terminologies that need to be brought back into the forefront again, that were sort of pushed off to the side, was things were, you know, when we were advertising, I was advertising as a preoperative transsexual mm-hmm. woman obviously meaning pre-surgery pre as i say corrective procedure um so and then you know so so you're doing those kinds of different things like that and of course there again it brings into the whole issue of knowing your boundaries and setting your parameters and sticking to them because realistically speaking i was not engaging with my clients with the genitalia i had just wasn't going to happen mm-hmm. because you yeah. know for, for the most part 99.9% of the time, it really played havoc with me. It played havoc with my mental state, um, you know, not being in alignment with my with myself it, mentally and physically. Uh, mm-hmm. it, you know, it just, it, it would always set me back 10 steps if I was doing that. And there again, it was like clients were like, oh, this and this and this, you know, if, if I give you more money, can we do that? And I'm like, no, you're going to have to find somebody else. So yeah, I did end up having, I worked hard to get my clients and I ended up having a pretty full roster. Um, yeah, so that, so so I was really happy about that. And of course, so I decided, okay, but I also had a lot of clients from BC. So I thought, oh, I'm going to move to BC so I can be closer to my clients only to learn that the boys don't play in their own backyard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they were flying okay. to Toronto to see me there that, cause they, you know, figured I don't, I'm not in Vancouver. Nobody's going to know what I'm getting up to. It was, it was kind of weird. The psychology around it is, you know, that's, that's their own little subtle nuances and things like that. So anyway. So, and also too, when you talk about um, the medical field in terms of terminology, 
clinicians also use the term preoperative and postoperative. Postoperative meaning after the surgery. Right. Now there's also um, non-operative is being thrown around out there as well. And that, for, mm. for the most part, for me, I don't understand or get the use of the word non-operative. I just don't. Yeah, um, right. You know, so you're a transsexual woman, um, but you're walking around with male genitalia or penis and testicles and scrotum and all this other different things. So um, you're going to be doing that. And then, of course, that sort of segues into the whole idea of categories for, you know, right. people who are offering services of a sex worker. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because I wasn't offering the services of a sex worker with a functional penis, you know, to be a part of it. I mean, and I, you know, and I'm going to, I'm going to be very blunt in here. And I, I, I know that we can be on your show here, yeah, but absolutely. If, you know, that, that's, that's, that's the way, that's what it was. It was like, you know, for me, that, that just wasn't what, that wasn't part of the equation of what I was offering, you know, mm -hmm. so that, that wasn't going to happen. There wasn't going to be any way about it. So I, I was just working towards my goal of going to get a vagina to do the things that I needed to do and to do that. Um, mm -hmm. So along, along the lines as well, when I was doing all these different things, they, you know, the word she male was used quite a bit as well back in those days when I right. was you know, early up and coming. Um, and, and those were the things that, so they even had categories for she male in the mm -hmm. newspapers. And I remember going to place, post my ads in some of these newspapers in around Toronto God, spending like sometimes an hour and a half on the damn bus to get out to these places to post my <laughs> ad and, and then being told, oh, this is a family newspaper. We can't put that in here. And I'm like, well, I'm oh looking at 25 ads already that are saying this, 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 and this. How do I not fit in here? You know, so the yeah. discrimination was already rampant even within the, that sort of situation. So the Now magazine um was really and tab international were two of my best sources of advertising and believe it or not the buy and sell that was hilarious wow. buy and sell had a section in there too um but so within much. those so there was the, the categories were there for she male and then they started right. to break it down into post-operative pre-operative things like that and for me realistically speaking those were situations that i fought a lot for as well within those areas because of safety concerns and issues Okay. Yeah. Go into that. So like if people couldn't really advertise themselves in terms of who they were, or what their physicality was all about, you know, um, and then the clients couldn't see it up front and center. That also took that, uh, took a lot of the whole negotiation process out of the phone conversations or, you know, navigating that kind of process to get your client to come see you. Because, you know, we know that clients don't always read what we put out there. We know that for a fact. No. <laughs> <laughs> There's more on <laughs> envelope pushing here you go again right um and it's like did you read my ad no i don't do that so so that was one of the things that i was always saying as well because there was a point there where there are a few individuals that disappeared in toronto who were brutally murdered um oh gosh. yeah so they um and that was because of the whole non-disclosure kind of situation too so for me i've always felt that i need to be upfront and center about my personal right. history as to what i'm going on because i've actually had clients come to my door who, um, for all intents and purposes, I thought knew exactly what was going on, knew the conversation we had and, and figured it out from the conversation until the point where I had to actually lay it out, spell it out. You know, I'm, oh I'm pre-operative or I'm post-operative because I worked through all that transitional period and still do. Um, yeah. so, you know, so I still have a bit of a, uh, how should I say, I have a, 
a small roster of my primaries currently right now. And then there's a few others that still come and go and they sort of float around the city. But right. you needed that as a sort of safety net, a safety barrier to let people know yeah. what's going on. Because a lot of clients will look for specifics. And the irony yeah. of it, so I had clients who tell me that they were, you know, more comfortable with me pre-operative. Mm. And then when the post-operative thing happened, they that wasn't what they were wanting. For some reason, there was some sort of association with strength and I think the physicality with it um, and, and, and they left. And then of course, a whole new breed of client came on board with the post-operative terminology. Um, wow, so yeah, like different clients seeking you for, I guess, different services, but not even different services, but maybe not catering to what their fantasy is, is I, what I'm I, and I think that's what it was, you know, really, I've, I've tried to think about it and analyze it quite extensively in regards to fantasies and stuff like that and what they were comfortable mm -hmm. with. Um, and I had one gentleman tell me that he liked the strength that knowing what the genitalia was in a preoperative sense. It, it kind of made sense to me, but it kind of didn't make sense to me because it's like, I don't really feel like I changed as a person. Yeah. I mean, like, their expectation of you has. Yeah. Maybe. So... Um, I mean, like I'm still the same person, six foot, you know, 36 G, 27, 39, you know, tall, <laughs> workout, blah, 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 blonde, green eyes, all that stuff. But, you know, having, having little minute details no longer there seemed to make a really big difference for a lot of clients for me. Um, yeah. Question for you, Velvet. Like, uh, well, maybe a couple of questions, actually. <laughs> I have so right. many things brewing through my head. So did you feel that maybe the clients that want, were seeking your services pre-op, do you think that it was almost they were tokenizing you because you were trans or do you ever feel that way that they were tokenizing you or like that you were almost like a quote unquote gimmick? I, I really, you know, and I really like that you bring that up because I think it's really interesting that you said it because it's one of the things that I talk about during my presentations and I know you mentioned Tamara. Um, yeah. You know, because I, I do stuff with her as well. And I talk about that too. One of my things is, is the whole idea of why are trans folks so sensitive, right? Um, mm -hmm. And one of the things that's in that list of categories that I talk about within that is the fetishiza fetishization of the individual. And mm -hmm. I really believe a lot of that did and still does take place. Um, yeah. So, but by you, you know, by you talking about tokenism, I really think it's there. I really, truly believe it's a very prevalent situation. Um, and I mean, you, you really can't talk to clients about that because, of course, they're going to yep. deny it. Yes. They're not going to say that. But I think there's certain, uh, there's a comfort level with some of them. And of course, on the flip side of that as well, you know, when, you know, for me post-operatively too as well, then I have the clients who were coming around um, again all of it's laid on the table. The deck of cards are there for you to play, folks. You can, you know, do mm -hmm. whatever you want to do. I've, I have nothing to hide, and I've made it very clear. But then they would start thinking that whole thing. It's like, oh, well, you were, you had this anatomy. You were born with this. Ooh, that must make you a guy. That must mean that I might be gay when I oh, didn't feel that way prior to talking to you and coming here. But now that I'm face to face with you and in person. You know, they would have these reservations and these feelings again. Um, Interesting. You know, so that, of course, so it, it left for a real lengthy negotiation process 
or and right. I, I call them mini informational sessions is what I was, you know, saying to the client because <laughs> you, you have to go through all this. I, okay, I'm six foot, I'm 185 pounds, 36 G, 27, 37, green eyes, blonde hair, blah, 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 as, as we do, you know, because we, yeah. and, and I've always said this too. So I've commodified myself and I have no issue using that terminology. Whereas, you know, the aunties out there who would have you believe that otherwise that it's terrible. Oh, well, you're a commodity. Well, yeah, I am a commodity. I know I'm, <laughs> I know I'm unique. Uh, like you are unique and, and clients go for that. I mean, it's yeah. like asking a person, well, why did you buy a Mercedes versus a Toyota? Yeah, for a reason. <laughs> you know, and it, and it and it's not, and I don't really, it's it's not because of the value of the car. It's because of their personal tastes. Yes. So why yeah. not why not cash in on that and commodify yourself so you can actually present yourself in that manner out there to your clients? So for me, mm-hmm. by saying to clients, "This is what my deal is. Uh, I've gone through my surgeries," and you know, and it. It wasn't. It didn't take until I got to Vancouver that I actually finally went to England to get what I needed to do, done. Um, so of course, and again, working through all of that transition, I lost clients when I went through it and came back, um, yeah. and of course, gained new clients as well. Mm-hmm. But it was it was just this one of those things where I, I really just sometimes don't know what's going through the minds of individuals when it comes to clients. Um, mm-hmm. but when it, when it comes to the whole world of advocacy and things like that and, and how they want to lump everybody into the same categories, that really kind of drives me crazy because the whole, the whole world of, um, pornography, for example, mm-hmm. uh, I remember when they were using the word sex change and they were using things like female oh. and they were doing all those other different things like that. Those were terminologies that were pretty much laid it out on a silver platter. And it was very easy to understand. Instead, because of all the new advocates and, and you know activists out there, would rather have them use words like trans woman, trans man. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And as a result of that, what that has done, that has pushed terms like post-operative and pre-operative out the door. Right. Like, would you ever even see that, those types of terms, like in terms of pre-op, post-op, non-op, would you ever see those terms in porn ads? Not really, right? I don't think you, you ever you, really you No, you never really did. You um, you know, because everybody has now gone to associate transsexual because transsexual is now the word that, you know, seems to be attached to the whole sexuality, sex thing, um, and transgender is sort of coming in as well. But they're two very different words with very two different meanings. I was going to say, because like you, uh, at least on your website, you refer yourself as transsexual. Um, when I was, when I was in the school, um, be like, I felt that transsexual was almost more of a derogatory term versus transgender. But if, if you can kindly correct me on that and also educate the audience on the, the difference between the two, we would love to hear that. Well, how that works. Okay. So what I do is like, in the, I, I also talk about this in Tamara's class as well. So there's two words, transgender and transsexual, both of them with the prefix trans on them. So I tell people, take the trans off of both of them. What are you left with? You're left with sexual and you're left with gender. Sexual being of the body, gender of the mind, right? So when you take both of them and you're in alignment with both of them, with whatever gender you are, with the physical self, that to me is, you know, and that to many out there in the community, that's alignment. 
So gender right. of the mind, transgender of the mind, transsexual yeah. of the body. The body. Okay. Right? Great. So, um, and I know it can get really confusing for individuals. So you can't really take the word transgender and sort of lump it in and say that that's the umbrella term for all of it because it so isn't. Mm -hmm. you right. Know? And then it does a disservice to people like me who have gone through our changes to become the women that we are or the people that we are, whether you're a trans mm -hmm. man, trans woman, or a man or woman. And I always say to people too, it's like, so for me, I know I'm a woman who has a transsexual medical history. Right. Right. And that would, I guess, be a, a more like a fuller definition and a fuller explanation. Yeah, absolutely. So, and then, and then people get that and then they, they, they understand it when I say it like that, because like, oh, I never thought of it that way. And that's not to say that I haven't had um, doctors, for example, tell me that you need to get with the program because that's not the words that we're using today. And it's like, uh, actually, yeah, it is because the words that you're using yourself, Mr. Medical Man, are words that we, my community has put out there for you to use and for you to understand. You know what I mean? So it's like, it, it always has made me, um, it makes me laugh that way. And of course, if the doctor's actually talking to me like that, that's not a doctor that I'm going to be seeing anymore in future. No, I was going to ask, like, um, with your experience with like medical doctors and have had these procedures done, how, like, are you seeing any shift with their understanding and how they are viewing the trans community at all? Just because I feel like terminology itself has gone through a bit of an evolution in and of itself too. It, and it's it, it is. And it still is going through that evolution. And I think, I, I think what it's doing is it, it ebbs and flows and that's how I see it. So um, what was popular back in say the seventies is terminology, you know, and took a back seat is now taking a front seat again. Right. Because people are bringing that back because they need the clarity of it. Because I think, well, actually I don't think I know for a fact that the activists out there have been so much force feeding of this terminology down our throats, that this is how it has to only because they're not comfortable with the real words. They're not comfortable mm. with the real meanings of what it is. And especially for people like me, when they've actually gone ahead and they bastardized the words and then they forced it for us to use for advertising, mm -hmm. um, which has been so incorrect. Um, so clients have misread a lot of that. Mm -hmm. And the doctors, for the most part, when they were you know, dealing with transsexual women, for example, they were dealing with patients because there was a lot of this you know, you have to live in your gender that you are, that you know you are for two years before you can proceed with any sort of surgical procedure. Uh, you have to do all these other different things. You have to go through counseling before you can actually have documentation changes. Um, you have to, mm -hmm. you know, advertise your name changes and document for gender changes in public newspaper, government newspaper, community newspapers, at least you did at the time that I did, which is an irony there in itself because that really was outing the person, right? So here you were yeah, trying to live okay. a, a very private, secretive life, and suddenly it's all on display for the whole world to read. So, so much for safety and security of the individual on that aspect, right? Right, right. So with so with the doctors having you know dealt with patients that were going from point A to point B, they're now seeing people who are not going through that. And and let's be honest, so it brings with it a certain set or different health requirements and needs and aspects and situations okay. that could arise from hormone usages uh with with physicalities with you know your organs your your body what's going on there um and you know and for the most part depending on the types of hormones you're doing or the level or the the amount of hormones you're doing, a lot of those changes are irreversible 
right? So, you know, and, and you, you've got testosterone, you've got estrogen budding heads, kind of thing like that. And, you you know, you, so you're having this crapshoot with levels. Uh, you're using things like spironolactone, um, you know, voice changes, for example. Hair growth is another one. Right. Um, bone density is another one. Fat displacement. Mm. Uh, so, you know, these are all things that change. And the other thing that I, I will talk about too is as well. So when it's changing like that, the changes are done to the body because of physiological differences between the sexes. And people are going to argue with me about the whole idea of sexes as being a social construct, but then right. what do we call ourselves? Oh, right. you're, you're an XX and you're an XY chromosome now. Is that what we're going to bring it back down to? I mean, you know, come on, let, 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 let's, let's, let's be honest here that the, the, the whole chromosomal difference, there is a chromosomal difference, right? And, and physiologically speaking, the development of the anatomy and not only just the anatomy, the facial structure right. between individuals is very different. Lots of big differences. Here, big difference. Sure. I mean, and, and, that, and you'll see out there, I mean, and there's groups all over the internet as well as on Facebook, um, facial feminization surgery groups. So, you know, the moderators, you have to go through this stringent process to be entered into the groups. And once you're in the groups, you know, you can discuss with other individuals what procedures they've had done to, for example, soften their brow bone, um, soften their chin and jawline, enhance their lips, uh, nose jobs, necks, Adam's apples, eye lift or suborbitable eye lifts, you know, hairline oh, reductions and bringing forward all kinds of different crazy things. Um, so to say that we all develop in the same way on those levels <laughs> and, 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 you know, get people to force feed them to believe it is ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Absolutely yeah, ridiculous. Absolutely. You know, I, I, and I, I really think that owning one's differences and beauty within whatever it is that you have or whatever. And I'm not saying that I disrespect terminology here. Whatever terminology you choose to use is entirely up to you. But mm -hmm. for me, I do adhere to the binary of male and female because that's what works for me. And that's right. what I prefer and enjoy. But that's not to say that I don't have friends who call themselves gender fluid or non-binary. Right. That I don't respect that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, no, totally. Yeah. So, so, so you, you can't expect to tell somebody that you are this and this is what you have to be and this is how you have to do it and you know and then when i think about going back to the whole advertising aspect of it um you know here's an example as well so eros.com was one of the places that i used to advertise for a long time but i didn't advertise with them until after i had a big huge fight with them um okay what happened well so so here i'm sending these ads off to them and, and you know and they you know they, they're not cheap to advertise with by any stretch of the imagination so anyway, so, um, or they weren't in those days anyway. And so I was asking for categories in regards to, okay, well, can we put in there post-operative transsexual woman? Well, you're a woman. That, that, that There's no question about that. And I said, well, I really appreciate that you're adamant about that. But listen, this is my argument to you about doing that. And this, this comes from a safety standpoint. Exactly. You know, exactly. because there are individuals who are using the male genitalia, the penis that they have, as a trans woman who's preoperative for the services they're offering, which isn't what I was doing. So you can't lump us in the same thing. And then if you're going to put me into a category, for example, of female and not allow me to describe my history to someone who could potentially come to my door after discussing with them and turn out to be some 
serial killer or, you know, someone who's going to beat the living shit out of me. I mean, trust me, you know, it's going to be a hard thing because I'm six foot one and don't fuck with this bitch. I'll take it down. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I mean, I hate to say it, but that is kind of how I I learned to fight really good and really (laughs) at the same time, you know, by by defending myself. Um, And, but it's like, so, and it took them a while to understand that to actually allow that and to actually change their definitions and their classifications to allow individuals to actually put in pre-operative and post-operative. Yeah, that's really important. Really, really important to have that on there because there's so many dangerous situations or potentially dangerous situations of if like a client is seeking a certain thing or a certain person and then that's not what they're getting. Well, exactly. You know, exactly that. You know, and I can also bring up the issue of um, for example, the West Ender here in Vancouver. Um, so when that magazine, that it, it was interesting to watch that shift as well because the West Ender is where most of the ads used to be. And then they gradually shifted over to, oh my God, I'm drawing a blank here. Um, uh, straight? Yes, to Georgia Straight. Ah, why did I just do that? Anyway, um, <laughs> and so they went from having a trans section um, that also would, would talk about shemale. And they used the word shemale in there as well. And then it just went over to transsection, right? And then, you know, so, and then they went to transgender. And that, oh. that would, that's not, that, would, that was so incorrect to do that because here people started to associate, in particular clients, that anybody who was transsexual or transgender had a penis and was offering that within their services. So, um, so, so, so in actual fact, what they did was a disservice to those who, those of us who are advertising, um, and continue to have to fight for clients and have to negotiate that whole territory and continue to do so. Um, you know, and then of course the same thing with the Georgia Strait, I remember having conversations with them about the same situation and how they could change that. Now there's a lot of companies out there that are online that are not doing that. Um, but can I get you to stop that please? Sorry. The boyfriend just came over the groceries. Um, it's all good. And a lot of the online companies now who are being operated by individuals such as myself get it and they understand it. So they're actually offering categories and classifications that can actually allow a person to define that because, um, again, for safety issues and for also service provision, that lumping people into different categories. Not, but, I mean, let's be honest as well. I mean, there, you know, we look at what's out there. People can zero in on, you know, your ethnicity, the color of your skin, your hair color, your eye color, your your physicality, whether you're athletic or you're short or you're tall, um, you know, Rubenesque, all these other different things. And so why would that not be allowable for the whole trans community? Or, you know, if we if we're gonna use the word trans, right? Mm-hmm. It, it just it just wow. makes sense to me that, that that they should be doing that. I mean, and that you know, and and I and I know because the clients just don't read the ads. Again, we're, I'm going to no. say that. And uh, <laughs> here they are, you know, calling me. It's like, well, how big is your dick? And of course, you know, I was like, oh, honey, it can be any size you want and any color you want too. And I've got so many other ones. They're like, what do you mean? I've got well, <laughs> um, you're looking for strap-ons, aren't you? Because I've got lots of those. You know what I mean? <laughs> So they kind of, you know, 
and, and, and there again, they just, they laugh at it and they don't, cause, oh, I'm sorry. I, I, I guess I read your ad wrong. Well, no, you didn't read it at all. So this is what the yeah. deal is. You know, you need to exactly. clarify They're just that. looking for certain keywords and then they go, oh, this is like, this is what I'm looking for, but they're not reading. They're not reading fully. They're just kind of skimming to see what like is catering to what they're looking for. <laughs> Absolutely. And I, and I think, you know, and I do that cause I'm not quite sure on this one here, but I really think that it, it, when people own their terminology as they use it to define themselves, they have better chances and better choices for getting clients. Yeah, I think so too. I really think so you know, as well. And, and, and it, it's like if you, if you can own that and be confident within yourself to say the words and use the words within your ads and things like that, you're going to get the clients who are going to zero in on that. And it's just a matter of like, you know, and we're doing so much with it when it comes to search and or SEO and search terms and tag words and things like that. The same applies to putting an ad out there, you know, put the words out there that you, you know, are going to work because clients will focus in and see that word. And then you're going to be better off for it, getting that client. No, I think that's really good. Like, I think people should really, I mean, it can be a journey for a lot of people too, to get to that level, but to take ownership of who they are, like, and no matter what it is that you do too, in sex, I think in sex work, that's really, really important to take pride in that. Well, and I'm not sure about you, but I mean, a lot of the people that I have talked to and that have been in my world, of course, you know, I think we all have lots of friends who are sex workers as well, because you, you just can't when you're not, when you're in the industry, right? You're, we're, we're all, you know, one big family, I like to think. But, um, and I always said to people too, it's just like, I don't think you can really truly be successful in your work, your line of work, because we know sex work is work um, without being honest to yourself. And then by being honest to yourself, you can be honest to all those that around you that want to be in your life. Because realistically speaking, those that matter don't care, right? And those that care don't matter. Don't matter. I love that saying. I love that saying. It resonates so much. And I think you definitely, you've hit the nail on the head on that one for sure. Um, I also wanted to talk about, um, well, one one side tangent because you also mentioned it earlier, and we had we hadn't discussed this earlier yet, but you mentioned um, some trans individuals that were murdered in Toronto. Can we also speak about the, I guess, the dangers that might come with that, the stigmatization that comes with that? Um, you know, maybe higher rates in depression, higher rates in anxiety over like amongst trans individuals. This is a huge topic, but I, I feel like if we mentioned it earlier, I would love for you to speak a little bit to that. Absolutely. If you well, you know, I can honestly say that, you know, the individuals that I know that are no longer part of this plane of existence um, are gone because they weren't forthcoming in their history, their physicalities, you know, with their clients and things like that. And then when, when you're dealing with, and we know this for a fact, the hyper-masculinity that comes from our clients within this world, um, you know, it's, it's a trigger. It's, it's a ticking time bomb for some individuals. And this is why they're, they're, they no longer exist anymore because they were murdered for basically lying, not being forthcoming. Because these, you know, these, these guys murdered them because it's like, oh my God, you used to be a man. Um, you lied to me, blah, 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 blah. And then it comes out later on in court proceedings and everything else. And, you know, they, they, they try to use this trans panic defense bullshit, which thank God is not, or goddess, whoever's listening out there is not happening anymore. Right. Uh, at least not in this country anyway. And so 
you know, when we talk about the whole idea of the sensitivities and things, and I, I always use this terminology to the epiphany point, um, you know, and, and people always sit there and say, oh, why are trans folks so sensitive? You know, you know, well, number one, you have to go through your name change. You have to go through gender change, societal acceptance, familial acceptance, friend acceptance, uh, occupation, um, your, your living, for example. Uh, lack of or lack to uh, medical and dental, anything to do with that, lack of education or lack of access to education, um, the fetishization of the individual as well. That to me is the biggest one as well, because people will look at people who are in the trans world and they will fetishize you. They really, truly do. You know, they see you as a sex object. Like, I mean, there are individuals who just, they can't get the whole sex aspect out of their head so much so that they won't even walk with you side by side on the street. You know, I, 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 yeah, I, I, I've had clients who, when they've seen me on the street, they will literally walk to the other sidewalk on the opposite side of the street just to avoid me because it, there's that whole thing. It's like, sweetheart, I'm not going to walk by you on the street and go, hey, how was it? Remember that last time when I stuck that huge dildo up your ass? It was so great. Oh, my God. I love that. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, come on. Or, you know, or, or when you tripped over in those nine inch heels carrying that tray for me. Oh, it was so hilarious. But right. Yeah, no, in this, this, this is not what's going to happen. But there's that whole sex, sexualizing of individuals who are in that. And that happens a lot, a lot, a lot. And then going back to the epiphany point. So when people ask those questions, why are they so sensitive? Or they'll be talking to somebody and it's just like, oh, why are you so sensitive? Blah, 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 blah. Oh, right, right. It's because you're trans. Mm. You know what I mean? And 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 it's like, and that really irks me because it's so expansive because that that whole ideology, that whole action applies to everyone on the planet. From whatever ethnicity, cultural background, religious belief, denomination you are, whatever color your skin is, everything else, people still do that to people without actually looking as the person at the person as a person first. Cause yeah. that, you know, I really believe we, everybody on this planet, especially in this country, we should all be afforded the same human rights. Yes. And it boils down to human, just the humanization of people, you know, uh, I just feel like even just uh, broadening this back to sex workers, sex workers are also, you know, fetishized we're also tokenized we're highly stigmatized as well and like for example in my own personal life I do like a lot of things I do this podcast I'm a stripper I'm a stripper and sex worker in so many different capacities and I do like a lot of different projects but then the only thing that people hear is like oh sex worker that's like the only thing that they hear and see I mean as I look at you now I mean I can tell that you not only you work out you take care of your parents (laughs) You, you've educated yourself with regards to all of this technology that we're sitting talking to each other on, um, you know what I mean? And, and you're advertising, getting out there, your social and personal skills. Like people just take it for granted that they only hear one thing and think of this and it's suddenly it's a nitty gritty. And, and, and I love this as well when I talk to people, like generally I get a little bit more filthy mouth when I'm talking to my friends about, you know, what we do. <laughs> but when it comes to talking to people who are outside of our world, I'm not going to engage in a conversation with you about what it is that takes place between myself and my client, because I really do adhere to client confidentiality because it is personal. It's dealing with human sexuality. 
Um, it's, it's dealing with human psych and psychology, all those different things. So why would I not afford them the ability to have that protection and privacy? You know what I mean? So, so, so I think that that's, well, actually I don't think I know and believe that that's what I feel when it comes to all of us as human beings, as humanity. And, and affording everybody the same protections, the same respect that should be given. Yes. Oh, I love, I love this whole conversation. It's just, oh, it just gets me so fired up. <laughs> it, it, you know, it does. I mean, it, it can't not get us fired up. I really, truly believe that. It's like, cause we, cause we're always so busy fighting it. And this is the thing too that I think about. It's like every time when we're talking about legislation and laws and changes and all this other stuff that, you know, they don't really want to listen to us, but unless we have some sort of like highfalutin education behind us. I mean, you know, I don't run around sitting there saying I talk about my fashion design degree. You know, I don't talk about my, um, you know, fashion history degrees. I don't talk about all those other different things or the academic process. I would rather talk to you about the artistry. But artistry along with that, it, 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 it's not taken as valid because if unless you're an academic, well, you know, we aren't going to give you credibility. Yeah, yeah. That's, I, I hear that argument a lot as well, which is really frustrating. Really, really frustrating. And I don't get it. I do not get it. I, I, I was like reading a tweet earlier this morning. And, um, we were talking about like AI and like how it's discriminatory to sex workers and this whole thread. And yeah, this sex worker was posting about her experience on DoorDash. And then of course, unfortunately, this guy, this cis white male came and started trying to mansplain everything. And and then the sex worker was like, well, I'm actually, I study in tech. Like I do this. I have a PhD. I think I know what I'm talking about. But then like for her to actually have to come out to like say that, to try to validate herself over this guy was like infuriating to read. Well, it's exactly like what you said. They They only zero in on one thing. Whereas in, in this part of the, our conversation is a detriment because zeroing in on certain terminology is good for your advertising abilities. But when you hear sex work and suddenly that's all I heard and I'm not going to get past it, you know, and, and it's like the education, the level of pride and commitment that sex workers have to their job, to their craft, it blows my mind. And then suddenly, oh, well, you're suddenly less than because you do these things. Yeah. And it it makes me wonder, like, so is is it because is, you know, you're less than because you do these things because there's a monetary value attached to it or 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 a gift attached to it or, you know, living attached to it? I mean, let's I mean, let's be honest and think about this as well. I mean, you know, for the individuals who are married and, you know, there's one of the spouses who's working, the other is not. And. You know, it's a give and take relationship as far as I'm concerned. Does it does that make it any less for the person who happens to be at home, who happens to be looking after the home and cooking and cleaning and doing all those other different things versus the right. person who's going out and bringing money into the house? Um, you know, I, I always think about that. It's like because having sex in those confines, and I do say confines, you know, how is that defined? How, how does that, you know, become any different than what people are trying to inflict on sex workers with the work that they're doing. I mean, you know, I mean, cause, cause realistically we're hearing what the body is saying and what the body is wanting, what the body is needing. 
And we're not only hearing what we're saying, but we're seeing what it's needing with these clients that tell us. And, you know, and I don't know, I think sex workers are pretty much some of the only people on the planet that are engaged in active listening, to be honest. <laughs> we, 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 we are listening. We are talking. We are hearing what you're saying. It's, oh, absolutely. It's a um, huge part of her job. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, Velvet, this has been a great conversation, but there are a, there's like a bunch of questions that came in too that I feel it's time for us to go into. So let's go into some Q&A here. So the first question, or I guess a few questions here. So I'm just going to read the whole paragraph from this person. So from Catherine, do you prefer tra- uh, trans woman or woman? Besides your personal preference, what's the best way to categorize, so to speak? I always assume that if you're a trans woman, then you're a woman full stop. Same if you're a trans man, but maybe I'm wrong. God, she's, she's, Catherine's got a, thank you for the question, Catherine. Um, she's got a lot of stuff that's sort of rolled into one there. And, and the fact that she's actually thinking about it tells me that she's compassionate and that she's, you know, she's, she's on board with this. But for me, when I, I talked about myself, um, again, I, I'm a woman. I consider myself to be woman. I might not have, you know, um, a vagina that gives birth. Okay. So here's something that I always say to people, and this is something I'm going to throw this out here too, because I know your viewers are love listening to this. Um, (laughs) so whenever I go and do things, stuff like that, and there's always one who's in the audience, who's going to ask the most crass of stupid questions who, you know, come from this ignorant thing. And I always have two classifications of ignorance There's redneck ignorance, and there's ignorance <laughs> that we all suffer from because until we are educated, we all suffer from it. Yes. But I'm not going to ask answer a question that comes from redneck ignorance, the kind of ignorance that makes the prickles on your back go up over your head and you, you know your hair stand on end like a dog. <laughs> so, um, so whenever I talk about my vagina, and and they ask those dumbass questions about what it does, what it doesn't do, blah blah blah. I said, well, the only thing my pussy don't do self lubricate, menstruate, and give birth. But that bitch loves to get fucked like every other pussy on the planet. So we'll leave it at that. <laughs> and lube is my friend, you know? <laughs> I love this. Oh, my God. <laughs> so, and, you know, that always shuts down the question, too. And it's just like, okay, I'm going to say it because I can own it and I'm making fun of myself. And that's it, you know? I mean, we, we, we've had a lot that. of comedians who are poking fun at people in some ways that people would call offensive lately. So I'm kind of like, mm-hmm. if I can't make fun about myself, then who else is going to really? But so as the woman that I am, I always throw in there as well in a re-education sort of format is I have a transsexual medical history. So I've gone through that. And I will use the word transsexual freely because I have no issues with it. Amanda Lepore had said one time, and I really love this, and I'm not quoting her verbatim, but she's like, I love the word transsexual. It's like a dirty 50s magazine. Ooh. <laughs> and I'm like, I can go with that. Yeah, yeah, you know. <laughs> so, and, 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 to, and to finalize with Catherine's statement there, it's just like, it, you know, for whoever it is, it could be trans man or trans woman. And I really always give people the courage to ask individuals, say, well, what is that you prefer? Don't mm-hmm. hesitate yeah. to ask, yeah. you know, really. Because we're always so busy asking what a person's pronouns are and what they're comfortable with. We should also be able to ask, is it trans man or trans woman? Are you transgender? Are you transsexual? Are you this? Just because I'd like to know and to be respectful towards you. That's all the best. Ask questions in, in a respectful way. Exactly. It's about the respectability of the question, really. Yes, 
Um, we have the next question. I guess next couple questions that came from Adam. So I was always curious to know if these trans porn stars slash sex workers went under medication or surgery to become trans. Is this question appropriate or derogatory? I, it's not derogatory or inappropriate at all because it is, you know, it's something that a lot of people do ask and things like that. But I mean, it's like, you don't necessarily have to go under surgery or go through surgery to become trans, to be trans. Because really, to be trans, you are or you aren't. Um, you know, so for me, if we're going to use myself as an example here, um, I don't have any fingernails now, so I was feeling kind of naked. I'm like, ah, I got to go get them done. Anyway, um, so for me, just to be more complete of the woman that I am, I did go for my surgeries, right? Because, you know, being under the microscope with clinical psychologists and psychiatrists who treat you like you're a lab rat, and, you know, for the, that's how you got treated and how we still get treated um, before you can actually be let through the gate to go and get what you need to do. Now, a lot of countries are letting people make decisions on their own when it comes to their ID and birth certificates and things like that. And I, I, you know, the jury's still out for me a little bit on that because I do think there needs to be some sort of proper assessment stuff because it's not, it's not something that I think you can go back and forth from because as I said before, there are certain changes that are irreversible. They just certainly, they just are. Um, so you have to be really well aware of what it is you're doing and feel comfortable moving into that direction because if you make one, if you make a mistake, you're, you're well, you're screwed for life. You really are. Yeah, and I, I, I've, <laughs> I've, I've, I've met some and I know when I was in England in the hospital there, you know, example here, the guy could talk about this. Um, so the nurses had come in there, all these lovely English women. I love them. It's like, oh, darling, you know, we've got, we've got a bit of a problem. There's, there's, there's this couple across the hall. Would you mind having a little bit of a chat with them? Because we, we just don't know what to say to them because they're just really having a hard time with us. And I'm just like, oh, oh, okay. And of course, I had major nerve damage to my left leg. So I hobble across the hall with my cane and, you know, oh, I'm thinking it's going to be great. And, you know, got myself all prettied up and just, oh, how are you doing? You know, anything. Well, literally, I got in the room and I was looking at two little old men in the bed complaining about, oh, my God, they made the biggest mistake of their life. And uh, there was no going back and what were they were going to do and blah, 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 and everything else. And I was kind of like, ah, wow, this is great. Well, I wish you all the best for your future endeavors because there's really nothing I can say here. <laughs> and I just hobbled back across the hall my own room and I'm like whoa and of course the nurses come running in afterwards to talk to me and said how'd that go how'd that go love and I said well this was a yeah it's kind of what we thought too we weren't quite sure what to say it's just like what we thought you know you were so grounded and so fabulous and we just love you and we thought maybe you could talk to them and I said yeah they need, they, they need more help than what any of us can give them and they're like oh thank you it's not just us then and I said no enjoy it's like oh <laughs> that kind of thing and you know there again it's like Big changes, irreversible changes. Huge. So, Life you know, yeah, so surgery is not necessarily isn't required to be trans. You either are or you aren't. Um, and, you know, and I really think that for me, trans done, does come with appearance changes. Um, it comes with dressing changes. It comes with attitude changes. It comes with lifestyle changes. It comes with a lot of different things from what you were born in and, um, assigned at birth uh, and brought up as realistically because we know parents you know with 
like that that's why this whole idea of these gender reveal parties i still kind of i find them really mm. weird to be yeah, honest me too. <laughs> like, like, well yeah right so it's yeah. like, so i think i think you know because parents are bringing they they, they want to be told that their child is this because there still is that way of life there's still right. that whole belief in everything else and i always say this is like well you know if that's how you understand everything else but also be open to the fact that your child may present at some as something or someone else or somebody else down the road and you need to be prepared for that right? you need to be okay with that yeah exactly open arms right 100 okay next question from adam uh which pronoun is appropriate for them he or she how do they view themselves sexually um, and they put in brackets if a trans person prefers to be with a girl or a guy question mark if a trans person prefers to be with a girl or a guy or be a girl or a guy I think they were referring to like how do they view themselves sexually and then also like what what pronouns are appropriate for them I you know this Adam's coming up with some really good stuff here because I also have talked about this as well like the lowest common denominator in terms of conversation negotiation with this really boils down to sex it really does you know um and these are individuals who are having these conversations themselves with their prospective partners and it can be really challenging and a lot of the times too uh I always say to people it's just like rather than zero in on the gender maybe zero in on the genitalia you know, because it's still called a vagina, it's still called a penis, right? You know, you still so you're still dealing with those kinds of different aspects of it. But realistically, if someone happens to be a trans man, their chances are their pronouns are going to be he, him, right? Mm -hmm. And if they're a right. trans woman, they're going to be she, her, uh, and and they will sometimes they will use Z, which is out there now. I've heard um, that, yeah, I haven't come across a lot of individuals who are using that, and um, they will also use they. They yeah, they um, them exactly, um, and yeah, it, it, it's there again. It's just like ask, don't, don't, don't necessarily go in, and but also don't feel guilty or or feel bad. Don't knock yourself up over the head if you get it wrong when you're asking something because you know it happens. You know, and if you're asking it in the, in a right, respectable manner, chances are you're going to be corrected, and and you will be properly and politely corrected. But other individuals also need to be, um, you know, and, and I'm talking about individuals in my community, also need to be very well aware that mistakes do happen. And and rather than get all bent out of shape about it, step up to be the best damn ambassador for the community, community that you can possibly be. That's what I always say. You know, you know it, it, like, for example, in, in the hospital the other day, I mean, this is what they saw pretty much when I was getting my leg looked at and operated on three times <laughs> anyway oh, um you know and then one of the nurses she she said he and i just looked at her and said sweetheart does this look like he to you and she's just like oh no sorry oh and she just laughed and giggled and ran <laughs> off. And then, but she was just as equally attentive afterwards as well but it was just like yeah. a, you know rather than get all bent out of shape and freak out and everything else and my partner was sitting there at the same time he says wow you were really good with that and i said well you know there, there was a there was a time when i would have you know, thrown eggs their way and freaked out. But what does it serve? What what, yeah. what purpose does that serve? Right? You know, we we all have it, and, and and we all go through it in different degrees, different situations. I would, like I said, I would rather step up and be the best representative that I can possibly be to keep on educating people if I can, if that ever happens. I love that. 
that's such a great like way to look at things and even in just in general too um yeah. like not reacting or not responding in a reactive way um and also asking and not assuming those are all just really great stepping stones so and a girlfriend of mine she also does um lectures as well and she's also transsexual and uh we were having a conversation with regards to how to deal with people's reactions. Mm. And uh, and she said to me, you know, their triggers and stuff. She said, first of all, I let people know in the audience that I'm not responsible for your triggers. Mm. You need to yeah. accept and you need to own your own triggers because I might be saying things that might trigger you and I don't know what they are. But that doesn't mean that I'm going to stop presenting what I'm presenting to you because there's a reason why I'm here and haven't been invited here. And I was like, wow, that's yeah, really good. She goes, yeah, at a certain point, we need to stop taking responsibility for other people's triggers. Mm-hmm. And people need to take responsibility for their own triggers because there's reasons why we go for counseling. There's reasons why we go and yes. talk to people, right? Yeah. And therapy is great for y'all. <laughs> that's why <I>. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, this next question, um, last, last two questions coming from Twitter from Vancouver ITL, uh, Vancouver IT guy. So, and I don't actually know your first name, I'm sorry, but this is your handle. So what makes a good ally and how should an ally show up online? Oh God, what makes a good ally? Well, somebody who can engage in active listening, number one, first and foremost. Um, and also, too, like an, an ally who asks the right questions and asks them appropriately. That's really, truly what I believe. And, you know, and I, I think as well, an ally who is also educated enough that it, they can actually stand up and they can actually speak in a non-biased way. I, you know, mm. I was told by individuals, too, that they don't need an ally to speak for them. And, I, and of course, my reply to that was, well, what about the times when you're not there to speak for yourself? Hmm. You know, I, yeah, you know, I, I, I yeah, have no issues it. with an ally being able to speak for me that's educated, that can deal with all this stuff and, and is smart about the whole situation. That's how I feel about it. Um, and how they would show up online, again, is by asking the right questions. By not being pushy, not being out there, not by being an idiot. Um, and don't come across as a redneck, really. That's how I, I see. And let the person speak to you but ask the right questions, right? If you got questions, don't hesitate to ask them. Yeah, and these are great questions, by the way. Everyone's sending all these questions. They've been awesome so far, so keep keep them coming. <laughs> but there is just one more here. So um, do digital platforms do enough to be inclusive and supportive? I don't think that they do. And I, and I, and I think that that's still an ongoing process where people are still trying to figure out exactly what's going on and navigating and i think that they're and i don't think i believe that they're doing that in a good way but i also think that they still need to educate themselves and they also need to educate themselves with the people that they have working for them within these platforms um, because generally there's a good team member out there and it's, it's not just about saying oh well i know somebody who's trans right but actually yeah. having people come in and talk to you or actually having some sort of a team in place that can actually go and analyze and look at different things you know, I, I, and I, I know companies that have dealt with this in the past who had um, bosses and owners who were very redneck, very right wing, very anti in a way. Um, but then they ended up with employees that pushed the envelope so they could actually get people in to educate the companies and things like that. So I think we still have things to do and, and we're, you know, happening in leaps and bounds, but it'll get there. It'll get there. 
we still got some work to do. So well, and it's going to be an ongoing process, right? I don't think it's ever going to just stop, oh, yeah. right? Because no. you know, and I always say this too, because when I go and talk, I sensitivity facility is one. I've, and one of the biggest organizations that I did was the Vancouver Police Department. Right? Um, oh, that's huge. Yeah. So that that was quite fun. So one of the things that I was said as well is it's like this is not going to stop, folks. This has this is an ongoing thing. You people need to be aware of it and you're going to keep on doing it because there's always going to be new police officers and new members to the force coming into play that mm -hmm. still will need this kind of education. So oh, there needs yeah. to be people who are going to be also stepping up to the plate to do that down the road when, you know, people like me aren't around to do it anymore. You know, so that's why it's like open the door for the up and comers to be able to, you know, continue doing that fight and, and properly educating individuals. That's what I really believe. So. Yeah, no, that's great. And like setting people up for success too. And like, and that's why like, I personally love doing these guest lectures at like my old university. And I'm sure this is why you like to enjoy doing the lectures too, because like we're educating the next group of leaders, next pe the next wave of hopefully change makers. So I think it's, I think a little goes a long way for sure. Well, and, and you know what, everybody has a unique way of presenting things as well. And you know, so different perspectives and different presentation methods or, or, or ways of doing it um, also connect with individuals differently, too, because we don't always connect with the same individual the same way. You know, where I may have gotten um, resistance from somebody else, you may have gotten in. Right. You know what I mean? So it's, it's a way of opening doors to get people to um, be more accepting uh, of different types of different ways of doing things and i think that's a really positive thing so that we can also get the same message across but if it's delivered differently that's not a bad thing yeah no not a bad thing at all um and that is it for questions velvet <laughs> this has been so great i could continue talking with you for hours i feel like there's so many other topics that we oh, can't I love cover this. Okay, you know, if there's something else that you think that you might want we want for go but i'm sure I'm probably there with it as well. So it's all, you know. <laughs> but before we let you go, where can we find you? You can find me at velvetsteel.com. Um, I have my own website. But uh, I, I heard that you were saying that you were having yours built. And I'm in the process of looking at having mine revamped as well. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. So any, and uh, you can also find me on Twitter at Velvet Steel. You can find me on Facebook at Velvet Steel. Instagram is Velvet Steel. Uh, Pinterest is Velvet Steel too. Um, so it's, it's, it's all out there. But my website has a lot of fun, different things on there too. I changed my website from being um, the sex, the, the proverbial sex site into more of an inspirational sort of uplifting kind of, you know, um, sensitivity kind of thing as well. So, and I've got a form on there too. So if you got any questions and you want to ask me something, ask, send it to me there or find me on Twitter or Instagram. I'm, I'm there and uh, be more than happy to chat with you for sure. Absolutely. And like, I advise everyone to click the links below because Velvet's website is a huge resource. There's tons of great nuggets on there of just some education pieces, like lots of great links, lots of organizations as well too. So please click the links if you haven't already, give her a follow and also maybe message her if you have any more questions that we didn't quite cover on the show today. But for everyone else listening at home, it is Strip by Sia on all podcast platforms. Um, don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, maybe rate me five stars on Spotify give me a nice review whether you like the show or not and it's also strip by Sia on Twitter strip by Sia on Instagram soon to be strip by Sia.com actually hopefully by the time this website or hopefully by the time this episode comes out it 
should be live. So we'll see. Fingers crossed on that. And lastly, patreon.com slash stripicea. If you want to help out the show monetarily, that would be amazing. But for now, that's it for this week's episode. We'll catch everyone in for another episode next Sunday. Thanks, Velvet. Thank you for having me. Bye, everybody. Hope you had a great time. listening to Stripped by Sia, hosted, produced, and edited by Steph Sia, music by Ted D, graphic design by Maria Bellandarama, and photography by Ian Davern.